So we're going to continue this morning and we're going to look at Luke chapter 3. We're going to actually do this full chapter today because I really felt that it it all tied in and I just feel God wants us to do that. So uh, just to link up from last week, we looked at at Jesus when he was 12 years old and we looked um, at how he was able to really speak and question and uh, talk at a level with the highest academic rabbis, the most learned men in the land, as a 12-year-old, he was able to, to dialogue with them. In fact, not just for an hour or two, but was actually there for a few days whilst his parents were looking for him. And we realised last week that, that whilst Jesus was God in flesh, that he wasn't He didn't use those God powers. He came as a true human being. And the Bible says in Hebrews that he, though he was the son of God, that he learned, uh, he actually learned obedience by the things that he suffered. In other words, there was no easy cut to anything. He had to learn it the way we have to learn it. And so he went through what it really meant to be a human being. And just a couple more things that I wanted to mention Last week we saw that from a very early age they would have been given around about five years of age a little prayer shawl. We're going to look at that in a moment. Um, But just wanted to say that from the age six to twelve there was a thing called Bet Safar, which was the house of the book. It was when the children were brought in between six and ten and they would have been taught in the synagogue uh, by what was known as the Torah Rabbi. And he, I just read this recently, the rabbi would have actually covered their writing slate with honey. Uh, because honey is a luxurious, sweet substance that reminded them of God's, of God's favour. And the rabbi would have said to them, may you never forget that the words of God are like honey. And that comes from Psalm 19. You know where it talks about how the testimonies are beautiful and like gold and all of that. And then it says, and they're like honey and the honeycomb. And so God's word is is sweet to our taste. And so from the very early age, they would have been taught uh, the, the preciousness and the beauty and the wonder of the word of God. And by the age of, I want you to hear this, by the age of 10 years old, these students would have put to memory the entire Torah. Five books, the first five books of the Bible, the Torah, they would have put to memory by the age of 10. Um, From 10 to 14, for the best students, they would have gone on to what was known as the the Bet Talmud, which was for the the ones who were really bright. And they would have have learned by memory the books from Joshua to Malachi. I mean... (laughs) It blows our mind, doesn't it? But the Jews are such seeking learning and the word of God is such part of everything they do. And, um, and also, as well as learning that off by heart, they would also have learned the interactive art of questions and answers. That's the way the Jews learn, by questioning, by getting you to think questions and answers. And of course, this reminds us that Jesus was the questions and answers as a 12-year-old. So he was well ahead. He was... He was he was, just, um, he was just the perfect man, and he was learning as a man. Above the age of 15, they would have done their bet, their, what there was known as their bet midrash, which was the best, they were the best of the best. And they would have aspired to be rabbis. They would have aspired to be teachers. Jesus was a rabbi, Jesus was a teacher. And he, the rabbis were able to give their own interpretation of the Torah their understanding of it and have been able to, t- to, to teach it. And their understanding and knowledge of the Torah was known as their yoke. That's why Jesus said, take my yoke upon you and learn of me. Because he was teaching like no other man ever taught. Because he was teaching from God's heart, from, from God himself. So I want you just to get the background of Jesus growing up from a 12-year-old right through those stages, right up to 15 and then 15 plus, right up until he's 20 years old. And of course, we looked last week at how during those years that Jesus would have been working as a carpenter 
That's referred to in a couple of places in the Gospels, Mark 6 and 3 and Matthew 13. It, it refers to Jesus being a, a carpenter and it also refers to him having brothers and sisters. And we, we know that there were other children after him and they're actually named as James and Joseph, Simon and Judas. And then it refers to his sisters as well. So it seems that during those years between the age of 12 and 30 that, that Joseph died somewhere along the line and that Jesus stepped up, it would seem, to be the one who became the carpenter, who was the breadwinner for the family and at the same time was learning and imbibing the word of God, the Torah. And I love, of course, Psalm 40, where it talks about, uh, Psalm 47 to 8, it says in the scroll of the book, this is prophetically writing about Jesus, in the scroll of the book, it is written of me, I delight to do your will, O oh my God, and your law is within my heart. This was written prophetically in Psalm 40 as to what Messiah would be like, that he would come to fulfill what was written in the book, all the prophecies, and that God's law would be written in his heart. So he was saturated in the word of God. That's why he could very quickly refer to the scriptures whenever a situation arose as we read through the gospels. Now it was at this time when he was just coming up to the age of, uh, of 30, remember that John the Baptist was about three months younger than him. If you remember when we go back to the angel coming and, and giving the word to Zechariah that Elizabeth was going to have a child and then she was already, was it three months or six months, I think it was three months, that he was a bit older than Jesus. And so just coming up to Jesus' 30th birthday it would seem whenever John the Baptist was 30 years of age, suddenly he appears in the wilderness. And we're going to read these verses now. We're going to read in Luke chapter 3. It says, Now in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate, being governor of Judea, Herod, being tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, tetrarch of Eturia, and the region of Trachonitis, and Lysanias, tetrarch of Abilene. So the scene is set for who was ruling, who was in place. And then it says in verse 2, While Annas and Caiaphas, that was the religious leaders, whilst they were the high priests, the word of God came to John, the son of Zacharias, in the wilderness. Now, I read somewhere, and I thought it was fantastic. And I just want to get this thought across to you straight off. We've been given the name of all of these leaders, all these political leaders. We've been given the names of the religious leaders. And yet... In the midst of all of these grand people at this particular time in history, the word of the Lord doesn't go to any of them. The word of the Lord goes to a wild-looking man eating white locusts and honey, dressed in leather skins, camel skins, uh, probably a bit of a smell about them as well, can you imagine? <laughs> Living out in the desert. That's who the word of the Lord came to. Do you know that just thrilled me? You know, you might feel that you're in a wilderness situation right now. You might feel that you're in a dry place. You might be feeling, oh, you know, I just need God to touch me. Do you know God will touch you in the desert? God, the word of the Lord came to John. And it says, uh, it says, and he went into all the region around Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled and every mountain and hill brought low. The crooked places shall be made straight and the rough ways smooth and all flesh shall see the salvation of the Lord. You see, he was actually fulfilling the prophecies in Isaiah 40. And here he is, all of a sudden, he, he kind of springs up out of nowhere, this wild man down in the Jordan River, and he is preaching repentance. And these are the very words that he's using. He's saying, I'm here to prepare, prepare the way of the Lord. And he's showing us God's heart. What's God's heart for you? It's to make those crooked places straight in your life. It's to go through those mountains that you think are impossible. That's what God's purpose for you is. That's why he sent the Father, God sent Jesus his son. It's to make the crooked places straight and to, to, the, the, to make the rough ways smooth. Are you in a rough situation at the minute? God wants to smooth it out for you and he wants to make a way through that. And it's into this situation in the desert that John appears in fulfillment of biblical prophecy. At the end of Malachi, 
the prophecy was given that one who would be like Elijah, who would look like Elijah, would come to prepare the way for the Lord. Isn't it amazing how so many prophecies have been fulfilled and Jesus fulfilled so many of them. And so here he comes and it's very, very interesting that, uh, that John the Baptist just appeared in the desert. It's very interesting because um, history tells us that at that time there was a group called the Essenes, E-S-S-E-N-E-S, who were a kind of a dissident group of people. They didn't want to be, have anything to do with the Pharisees. They wanted to keep themselves to, to themselves. And they lived a very separate life out in the desert, down around Qumran. And they were, they were very devoted to the Old Testament, to the Torah and all of that. And in fact, it was in Qumran where the Dead Sea Scrolls were found. And if you go there today, we, we have been to Qumran often, but it was just this past summer, whenever we went into a part of it I hadn't been in before. And it was very interesting because they were kind of saying that, and it was written as if someone who was an Asini was actually writing this. He was suggesting, he was saying that one of their number had left and strangely gone off and begun to preach at the Jordan River. So it kind of made me think, wow, he may well have been one of that group. Of, not the Bible doesn't tell us that, but he may well have been a group of that, a member of that group, and the spirit of the Lord coming upon him, and he knew that he had to get up and go and start to preach and leave that group. Uh, so it's, it, I thought that was quite interesting and quite fascinating. And of course, John was going to be the forerunner of Jesus Christ himself. Remember, whenever he first saw Jesus. He said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So he was there to make a way, to prepare a way, and to get the people's hearts ready to receive Jesus. And of course, he preached this baptism of repentance. And we've read that through. Let's just, um, let's just read a little bit more. It says in verse 7, Then John said to the multitudes that came out to be baptized by him, Brood of vipers! Who warned you to flee, to flee from the wrath to come? He was not mincing his words. Like he, he, wasn't, he wasn't smooth looking and he wasn't smooth talking. <laughs> he, was, he was giving it to them like from the hip, wasn't he? Like imagine being called a brood of vipers. <laughs> he was really, and he's warning them. And he's saying, therefore, bear fruits worthy of repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. And even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So the people asked John, saying, what shall we do then? So he's having a very effective ministry. He is, he is God's man. He is warning the people as to the, the, the wrath of God. And he said, you better get yourself sorted. And he's preaching this repentance. And, you know, I just wanted to say this morning that repentance is a gift from God. Honestly, repentance is wonderful. And, you know, so often growing up, it was kind of taught in a way like something negative, that you have to repent and you're the lowest sinner. Do you know what? I believe that for those of us that are closest to God, we should be practicing a daily kind of, Lord, I'm, you know the way if you if you're, have a boat set and it's set to go a certain direction and maybe it just needs adjusting every so often to keep on track. That's what I feel repentance is like. It's like God set us on course. And because of our old flesh nature, and because we tend to get things mixed up and go off track, we're so easy we divert a bit. And if you go off, if you, if you went off like half an inch, inch, it wouldn't seem like much, but you see, if you start traveling, that will start to go out, you'd end up miles away from where you're meant to go. And so I believe it's so important that we have this daily sense of, Lord, I just repent from anything that I'm, if I'm off track at all, just put me back on track again, and just get lined up to where God is directing you and what he has for you. And I'm telling you, the enemy will be trying to distract you and take you off course constantly in the little things. Just the little things. That little, that thought, that gossipy thought, that wrong, that, that, that sort of sense of maybe God won't come through, that unbelief. Whatever it is, it's just a little bit off the track. And before you know you're away, we need to be constantly repenting 
of those things to get back on track for God. And so he, I just really felt it was important to, to remind ourselves that, that, uh, that repentance is a wonderful, wonderful gift. It's really interesting that, that John was, was down at the Jordan River. And it, it, because the Jordan River, Qumran is around that area, it's near the Dead Sea. It would seem that somewhere, it, it seems that perhaps across the Jordan from the Dead Sea was the area that, that John actually was baptizing in. But it was all, you know, within a distance from Qumran. And it's really, really interesting that in Qumran, and we saw it this year, there are loads of these, what they call, um, I need to make sure I pronounce it right, mikvah, bass. They're still there from ancient, from biblical times. And they're down in the ground, and you walk down these steps, you walk down the steps to your submerged in water, and then you come up other steps, so it's like down and up. And these were, these were places where these sinis, this, these group, the scenes, they would have been washing for, for cleansing. This would have been like a ceremonial cleansing that they did. And these were all over the place. So it would seem that back in, and in fact, these mikvah baths are even around the temple area. And our guide who, who was so passionate about Jesus being a Jew and about how we need to know more from the Jewish perspective, he was wonderful this year because he was saying that it was so important that we understand that the mentality was actually the washing. It was a picture of baptism. The mikvah was actually like walking down into and then up out of. You, you left your filth behind and you come up. A picture of baptism. And so all of this is sitting in place and, and John is out there and he is preaching. And then he's going on to preach from verse 7. He says, uh, he's, he's telling them, sorry, a little bit further down. He's, he's saying there needs to be fruit. Repentance is not just said, oh, I'm sorry. And then continuing on in the same direction. Repentance is saying, Lord, I repent. I want to turn away from that. And I want to start I want to start obeying you. I want to get away from what's wrong and do what's right. And he goes on to say, the people asked him, what shall we do then? What's the fruit of it? What will we do? And John answered and said to them, he who has two tunics, let him give to him who has none. He who has food, let him do likewise. Then tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, teacher, what shall we do? And John said, collect no more than what is appointed for you. So he's telling them to be kind to each other. If somebody has need and you can help, then you need to meet that. You need to be you need to be practical, fruit of righteousness. It's not just a mental thing, I'm sorry, in my head. It has to be worked out in your actions. He's, he's telling these people who are tax collectors uh, in that society, tax collectors were given a certain amount that they had to collect for the government, but they could ask as much as they wanted over and above that. So that's why Zacchaeus and all the rest were, the people hated them because the tax collectors generally took more than what was needed and then just pocketed it. And so he said to the tax collectors, don't do that. Don't, don't cheat the people. Don't do what's not, be honest in your business and only do what's right. And so it's practical. He's practically telling them to change. And it says in verse 14, likewise the soldiers asked him saying, what shall we do? So John said to them, do not intimidate anyone or accuse falsely and be, con and be content with your wages. So he's warning them not to be, not to be using their power in the wrong way, to be, to be good custodians of their position and to treat people properly. And then it says in verse 15, Now as the people were in expectation and all reasoned in their hearts about John, whether he was the Christ, John answered, saying to all of them, I indeed baptized you with water, but one mightier than I is coming, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to loose. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. And with many other exhortations, John preached to the people. But Herod the Tetrarch, being rebuked by John concerning Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, and for all the evils which Herod had done, he added also this, above all, that he shut John up in prison. So we need to get the picture here that these people are being challenged, that John is preaching to them, uh, uh, he's, he's preaching a message uh, of 
change. He's warning them. He's, he's telling them, not only telling the people how to change their lives and how to be honourable in their personal relationships and in their employment and in their, in, their, in their attitude towards society. He's not only doing that, but he's also warning Herod about his morals. Now, I tell you, for, Her, for, for John the Baptist to be challenging Herod, who was a tetrarch, who was known as King Herod, but he wasn't actually a king. He was a ruler over a quarter of, of, the, of the land. A tetrarch just means a quarter. And for, for John the Baptist to have the courage to challenge King Herod about his immorality because he, he, was, he was living with his brother's wife, I tell you, it took courage. And John the Baptist was a man of courage and, and, and a man that Jesus praised. And we'll be looking at that as we go on through the, the Gospel of Luke. But uh, at this particular time, he was challenging Herod. And it tells us that after Jesus had been baptised, that Herod just took John and put him into prison. So just to, just to remind you that that's in the background. But meanwhile, it was into this kind of sense of an expectation that the people were saying, who is this man, this crazy man? Could this? They were beginning to think, could John be the Messiah? And, and it was into that sort of heightened sense of, of, wow, what is happening? Prophecies are being fulfilled. What's happening? Is this the Messiah? It was into that situation that one day Jesus walked down to the Jordan. We said last week we could see him coming up to his 30 years of age. It would seem that John, in his 30th year, that John was already had started his ministry. It would, we wonder, was John preaching for about three months until the time for Jesus to come? We said last week that Jesus would have been faithful as a carpenter, but one day, one day to fulfill all the righteousness, to fulfill all the prophecies, one day John, Jesus would have brushed up the carpenter's shop for the last time would have put the brush in the corner and would have known now's the time now's my time and down he would have walked a long walk to the Jordan River and as he walks down to the Jordan River we're told that that we know from from John's gospel that John pointed him out and said behold the Lamb of God the sacrifice the final sacrifice for sin John said behold look the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Here he was coming, presenting himself at 30 years of age, we're told. Let's just read what it says. It says in verse 21 of Luke chapter 3, when all the people were baptised, it came to pass that Jesus also was baptised. And while he prayed, the heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended in bodily form like a dove upon him. And a voice came from heaven which said, you are my beloved son in you. I am well pleased. You know, as he would have walked many a time from, uh, from his home in Nazareth over to Galilee, he actually would have walked through a natural passageway through the mountains known as the Valley of the Doves. We were there this summer and we walked just a little bit of it. And the sense of wonder to walk, knowing that Jesus so often would have taken that shortcut through the mountains. And actually you come out very close to Magdala, where Mary of Magdala lived. To get a sense of that is just the most beautiful thing. And it's beautiful and the, just the wildness and there was animals and birds. And I just love the sense of the doves. Jesus walking through the valley of doves. It seems that the doves were everywhere. I just think wherever Jesus was, there would have been doves. And here as he presents himself as a 30 year old it's very interesting that 30 was the age when the priests would, would become a priest 30 was the age when David took the throne when Joseph was given the, 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 the prime minister position in Egypt he was 30 years of age when Ezekiel was called to be a prophet it was 30 years of age 30 years of age is a very significant time. It would seem it was 30 when John the Baptist began his ministry and now here is Jesus and he is 30 and he is presenting himself to be baptised, to be identified with you and me. He didn't need to be baptised. He didn't have anything to repent of but he's identifying with you and me and I just love this thought that as he prayed the heavens were opened and there's a beautiful verse in Isaiah 64 where, where Isaiah the prophet cries out, Oh that you might rend the heavens and come down. 
And here you see Jesus and he's coming and he's, he's, he's at the Jordan. And you see the heavens are opened, they're rent, because the Son of God has come down. Isn't it beautiful? And, and you know, as he would have arrived and as John would have identified him and known that he was the, the Son of God, and as John didn't want to baptise him initially, reading some of the other Gospels, he said, I need to be baptised of you. But Jesus said, no, let us fulfil all righteousness. And as Jesus went down into the waters of baptism, and as he comes up out of the waters, we are told that the Holy Spirit descended in a bodily form like a dove upon him. And a voice came from heaven which said, you are my beloved son, and you I am well pleased. You see that whole idea of the Holy Spirit as a dove coming to rest on Jesus. I love that. And you know, I couldn't help, I haven't written it in your notes, but I couldn't help but think this week. Remember way back to Noah? Remember he sent the dove out? And the dove couldn't find rest for its feet because there was, there was judgment over the land it was polluted. It was only whenever the, the waters receded that the dove finally went off and remember brought back the olive, the olive um, branch or olive leaf. Well, you see, the dove, the picture of the dove in Noah could, would not rest on anything that was unclean, but the dove could rest upon the spotless Son of God. He could rest upon him. And you know the most amazing thing? The dove is the, speaks with the Holy Spirit. I mean, this is this particular moment in history where the dove rested on Jesus and where the voice of his Father came, came from heaven and spoke, you're my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. In that moment, we have a visual picture of God the Father speaking from heaven, of Jesus the Son coming out of the waters of baptism, and of the Holy Spirit resting upon Jesus. It's the Trinity. It's the Trinity before our very eyes. And at that moment, as the, as the dove rested upon him, um, it's just a wonderful moment, and the voice of the Father resounded from the throne of God. One of the translations says, This is my beloved Son, in you I am well pleased and find delight. You know, I think it's really important today that you understand that when you, when you ask Jesus to be your Saviour, when you invite him to come in and you are given the new birth, when you ask him to be your Saviour, to forgive you for your sins, whatever way you want to put it, when you receive him as Saviour and Lord, you need to know that you are born again, you become a new creation, and you are actually in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5 and 17 says, is, if, if, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away, behold, all things have become new. You are in Christ. And because you are in Christ, the Father speaks the same word of affirmation over you that he spoke over his son. What is he saying to you this morning? Here's what he's saying. He's saying, you're my beloved daughter. In you, I am well pleased and I find delight. I would love you to just to receive that today. You know, there's something in all of us that loves to be affirmed. Would you agree with me? Yes. Last night, William and Jane were at the Link Club. They go every Monday night to the Link Club. And they usually do some activity or they have somebody come along or a visitor or whatever. But they came home last night and they'd been making these little, um, these little things whatever they are, We decoration bits. And, uh, and I looked at it last night, and it's just a wee, William, William's work, and he brought it in. And I hadn't really had much chance to talk to him last night. And uh, this morning, early this morning, I was up and I was working to get the final notes finalised or whatever. And uh, he came walking in, and he handed this to me. Because, you see, he was waiting for me to make a big fuss. And I always make a big fuss, and I wanted to shake his hand and congratulate him and tell him it was wonderful, fantastic, and he's got to get a kiss, and it was just fantastic. And then whenever I was about to, were about to leave to come down to the church, he just went over and he lifted it up, and he just handed it to me. I think he wanted to show it off. Yes. He wanted everybody to see it. And you see, I'm saying that because there's something in William, and there's something in you, and there's something in me, that loves for our parents, for our loved ones, to speak words of affirmation, to say you did good. Well done, 
So often I said to William, well done, fantastic. You are just amazing. And I can see, you know, I can see his chest getting up when you praise him. And you see, there's something in us that needs that. But you know what? We have a heavenly father who does that. We have a heavenly father who says, I love you. I, don't you know that I love you? Don't you know that because you've accepted Jesus as your saviour, that you're in him and you're clean? And don't you know that I'm well pleased with you? That there's nothing hanging over you? I'm not about to give you a hiding because you did something wrong. I love you because you're in Christ. Well done. And he wants you to receive it. And you see, the trouble is we don't receive that. So we're running around like headless chickens and we're feeling bad about ourselves. And we're not, we're not enjoying our faith. We're not enjoying our relationship with Jesus because we're not receiving his affirmation. We need to say, God, thank you that you love me, that I'm the apple of your eye. Thank you that when you look at me, you smile. He wants you to know that. He wants you to know that you're his precious daughter. And when dare anybody touch you, he's got you covered. He loves you. And I just love this picture of the Father speaking these words over Jesus. And he wants you to know that you are in Christ, that you have his affirmation. And you know what? The Holy Spirit's not only resting on you, you're not only sealed by the Holy Spirit, but you can be constantly filled by the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 5 and 18 says, be constantly filled with the Holy Spirit. We can have that infilling of joy where the Spirit's in us and on us and we're, we're just belonging to God and he loves us. You know, I just love this whole picture of Jesus coming. And I, I, um, I just realised I forgot to show you the, the, the shawl, and I think I'll just show it now, because we talked about last week, and I mentioned it earlier, about the prayer shawl. And as, as the, um, Sarah, Sarah Claire has brought this, and we're very thankful, I don't want to, I want to just put this on. This is a man's one, so it's big. But just want you to see what this looks like. These are the tassels we talked about last week here. It's very interesting that on the tassels there are five knots. And that would be to remind them that there were the five books in the Torah, from Genesis to Deuteronomy. And I read somewhere last night that God's a tactile God. It's something to remind you, if you would feel that in your fingers, it'd be remembering the five books of the Torah. They would know the Torah off by heart. These are the, these are the tassels that we talked about. And um, these are the borders. And this is what we described last week, how the Jew would have seen, apparently if a Jew would have kind of crossed his arms, he would have been seen to have been in his closet. This was like a prayer closet to you Jews. So can you imagine Jesus wearing something like that? Could Most probably because the tassels and the garments that they used, the blue speaks of the heavens. Uh, this is a, one single blue one here. Speaks of, of, of heaven, and there are other bits and pieces which we'll maybe talk about at another time. But uh, I just thought that was lovely. Thank you so much, uh, Sarah Claire, for doing that, for bringing that for us. Because there's nothing like having a kind of a visual um, picture as to, um, you can see this, this silver and all sorts of other symbols and emblems on it, which we'll maybe look at at another time. But Jesus would have pre was actually presenting himself when he went to the Jordan. To be baptised, he was presenting himself as the Lamb of God, the one who would be the sacrificial lamb, and uh, he, was, he was at this point uh, presenting himself for all that his Father had for him. Now it says in verse uh, 23, Now Jesus himself began to minister at about 30 years of age, being as was supposed the son of Joseph, the son of Heli. Now, I wanted to just finish off on this today because this has, what I'm going to tell you now has kind of blown me away. And I know that all of you are aware that there's a genealogy of Jesus' family tree in the Gospel of Matthew. And there's also another one in the Gospel of Luke. And if you read, we're not going to read through all those names because no harm to you, I don't think I'd get them right. And, uh, and I'm not going to read through all those names. But I do want to say that uh, if you did take the time to read through all of the genealogy in Matthew and then all of the genealogy in Luke, you would see that Matthew's gospel goes, um, it really is from, from Abraham downwards. And uh, it, it, Matthew's gospel um, includes four women who, uh, who were in the lineage of Christ. 
Um, and it goes through, Matthew's Gospel goes through David, obviously, because the Messiah, you remember, had to be from the throne of David. Remember, God had given David a promise that, uh, it, that the Messiah would come through the throne of David. So David is mentioned in Matthew's genealogy, but, and, and David's son Solomon is also mentioned. Now, in Luke's genealogy, it goes right back to Adam, and Luke's genealogy, our family tree, uh, goes through David as well. But instead of going through the line of Solomon, it goes through another son of David's, the son called Nathan. Now, here's the very interesting thing that I found, that King Solomon's genealogy, the one in Matthew, it continues down the family line and it goes through a man called Kaniah, who was also at times, he was known as Jehoiakim. And it's very interesting, I'm going to read this to you, but in Jeremiah 22, it tells us that he was taken captive along with the, to Babylon along with many other Jews, but there was a curse on this man. And I want to read it out to you. It says in Jeremiah 22, verse 24, As I live, says the Lord, Though Coniah, the son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, though he were the signet on my right hand, yet I would pluck you off. And I will give you into the hand of those who seek your life, and into the hand of those whose face you fear, the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and the hand of the Chaldeans. So I will cast you out, and your mother who bore you into another country where you were not born, and there you shall die. But to the land to which they desire to return, they shall not return. Is this man Coniah a despised broken idol, a vessel in which is no pleasure? Why are they cast out, he and his descendants, and cast into the land which they did not, do not know? O oh, earth, 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 hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord, write this man down as childless. A man who shall not prosper in his days, for none of his descendants shall prosper sitting on the throne of David and ruling any more in Judah. Now, do you see that? That there was a curse on that man. We're not going to go into his lifestyle and the things that he did, but he really, he really insulted God. He, whatever he did, God hated what he had done and he was unrepentant and God cursed this man that he would be childless and that no one from him would, would be able to sit on the throne of David. And he's mentioned in Matthew's family tree, he is mentioned in that genealogy in Matthew. Now the thing is that the genealogy in Matthew is the, is the family tree of Joseph, right? So we know that Joseph wasn't the real father. So actually, I read somewhere last night that the reason that it's in there is to show that, that, the, that Jesus' right to the throne of David, to, right to be Messiah, it was not proven from that at all. In fact, it was proven that anybody coming down that line through Joseph would, have, it would not, not have been able to be the Messiah because they would have been cursed. But you see, I love, you just love the word of God. Luke's gospel. Luke's gospel starts off, and I tell you, I have looked into this in great, a great way. You see, in Jewish times, women's names weren't actually written in. That's why it's out of the ordinary that the women's names are in the, in the Matthew's gospel. But in the Luke's gospel, it says, Jesus being as was supposed the son of Joseph, the son of Heli. Now, in the original Greek, the way that is written, it is not the son of Heli, it is the son-in-law of Heli. Right? Which proves that this genealogy is the genealogy of Mary, who did carry Jesus in her womb. And when it goes down this genealogy and it comes to King David, it goes through the line of Nathan, which bypasses the curse and goes right down to Mary. Now, the Jews to this day, the Jews would say, well, you know, Matthew's genealogy proves that he couldn't, he couldn't have been the Messiah because the curse was there. But you see, they maybe haven't taken time to read through Luke's genealogy, and they maybe haven't taken the time to remember that in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, what did God say? That the one who would come who would be Messiah, the one who would bruise the serpent's head, would be the seed of the woman 
There was no mention of any man. The only person who ever lived who was the seed of a woman was Jesus Christ. Every single one of the rest of us are all come from the seed of a man. Isn't that right? And so this beautiful, oh, just the beautiful perfectness and, and wonder of the scriptures that show us and present us with Jesus as being the perfect, the perfect uh, son of God, the one who was the, who was the only one who had the right to be Messiah who ever lived. And it's very interesting that 70 years after, uh, after Christ, 70 years, all of the genealogies were burned when Jerusalem was torched. And there's no more genealogies, but they're in here. God's made sure that the genealogy of his son is here for us to see. Don't you just love the, don't you just love the, the, the detail that God makes sure that we have? And so as we began to think of, I began to think of this, I began to think of how no curse can fall on you. Why? Because Jesus became a curse for you and for me. And you know, there's so many people who think, oh, bad luck and all this stuff. You know, you don't have to be afraid of that stuff. No curse can fall on you because Jesus was the perfect sacrifice. There was nothing from his family tree that was coming down as a curse. He was perfect. But he bore the curse so that you and I would be free from any curse. And you can live free. And you see, even all that stuff in your genealogy that was right back that the enemy would try to bring down. Because we, we have human genealogies where there has been curses. We have, there's stuff that's happened in our genealogies going right back that we've, our, our ancestors have done terrible things, every one of us. There are curses and things that God has hated and despised, but you know what? It's all broken at the cross because Jesus became a curse for you. It says Christ has redeemed us of the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, that the blessing of Abraham might come upon us. Listen, God wants to pour blessing over you. God wants to speak his word to you today. If you're in a desert, dry place, he wants to speak right into your heart. He wants to give you a word. Psalm 119 says that the word of God is a lamp unto your feet. God wants to shine around you. He wants to give you a word that will encourage you, that will show you where you're going. He wants you to know that his word is true. Daily repentance will bring you into fruitfulness. It will keep you on course for the destiny that God has for your life, for the plans that he has for you, for the things that he wants you to do, and, and for who he wants you to become. Just that daily, constant, God, just keep me right, just waste me of that now. You know, we can have this daily forgiveness, moment by moment forgiveness. God wants us to know what it's like to enjoy him. I, I, um, I just feel it's so important that we understand the beauty of his word and the beauty of the scriptures. There's a book that I've been reading called Walking in the Dust of Rabbi Jesus. We met the, the author of this book in Jerusalem when we were there this summer. She came and had a meal with us. Wonderful woman. And she, she had written a lot. She's become very passionate about, about putting the Jewish stuff in that we understand better. And here's what she says. Jesus taught among a people who knew their scriptures intimately. They knew the word of God. They regarded study as a form of worship. They found in the lines of scripture endless new insights. Yet they realized that God still did not reveal every answer. Like others, Jesus drew from the Torah, the prophets and the writings. Through his Jewish eyes, we see the passionate longing in his father's heart to save humanity from the very beginning. It's always been in God's heart. From scriptures he read, Jesus found our calling as God's image bearers and his mission as our redeemer. He, he was saturated in the scriptures. And we ought to be as well. When we get the word of God into us and we begin to ask the Holy Spirit, listen, the Holy Spirit, at the moment of salvation, the Holy Spirit sealed you. You carry his presence. You have the Holy Spirit to show you and teach you from the scriptures. And he can show you new things. I guarantee you, even if you just do it as a matter of discipline and even day by day read a portion, and even if you feel you're not getting very much out of it, keep doing it because you know what? When God, Holy Spirit wants to speak to you, he'll light it up. And he'll show you something wonderful. And you'll see new things 
from the scriptures. And I love the whole sense of the Jewish thing because I get a, a thing sent to me daily and it's like from a Jewish perspective and it isn't even, it's not even from a, a messianic, it's not even from a Christian, this is just the Jews. And they, are, they send out across the world daily portions of Torah. It says here, it says here that um, the community, uh, let's see if I just get a few bit, um, yeah, for over 2,000 years, a worldwide Bible study has taken place. Everyone meditating on the same portion of the Torah each week. Jesus grew up studying the Torah each week in the synagogue. And the passionate First Jewish Church of Jerusalem did the same. And so on and so on. Even today, even in their unbelief, they're still reading the same portions of Torah across the, the world. In every country. And they're reading the same portions each day and they're steeping themselves in it. And here we are and we, they're blinded. They have not received Jesus as their Messiah. They don't appreciate that he was the final sacrifice, the final sacrifice for sin, the Lamb of God. They've missed it. And the Bible said that they would miss it. And they have missed it. God has a plan. He, he, he will, he, there'll be stuff going on with them. But alongside of that, alongside of God's purposes for the Jewish people, he has blessed the Gentiles. And we have received him. But you know what? He wants us to, to, be, to be more intentional about reading his word, getting it into our hearts. He wants us to, to, to know that he will speak to us even when we're in the desert, even when we're in a place where there's like mountains around us and rough spots in our lives that he will take us. And he wants you to know that you belong to God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And he wants you to know that salvation means that the curse has been removed from your life. You know, I'm going to say this and I'm going to finish. Over the summer, I, I had this wee fall and it, it, it wasn't really any big thing really. I mean, it's not, it's not a, so many people have had so many worse things, but you know, I just fell in an ordinary day, walking up through the hall quite quickly, I might add, probably faster than I needed to walk, and just took a bit of a trip and went down, hit my knee, cracked my knee, and was in cast for 10 and a half weeks. And you know, it's amazing how ordinary, you know, things that happen to us, how the enemy can kind of take them and we don't even realise it's happening, but he can kind of intimidate you and he can intimidate me. And I have realised that over the summer and over the, these weeks, there's been almost a slight little bit of uneasiness coming in. Well, that happened so easy. You're 70 now. What's the future going to be? Almost a little element of fear coming in. A little element of, you know, this could happen or that could happen. And, you know, I, I, I don't think I actually told this uh, to Egal's yet. I, I told it to a few other people, but I'm going to tell you right now because it's come to my mind. I was particularly afraid for William one night a few weeks ago. And I had been, I couldn't sleep. And just really feeling a bit tormented. And, you know, just quoting the scriptures and saying, Lord, I know that you look after me. I know I can trust you for everything. I know that, that, that you'll always give me grace. I know I'll always get over this. And I was just about going through everything I could think of. And finally, somewhere in the middle of the night, got to sleep. And the next morning, William woke up. And uh, Jane was up and about. And we were in the room, in William's room. And he suddenly sat up in bed. And... Normally he gets out of bed, but we were just in the room as well. And he just sat up and he looked at us. And he started going, higher, 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 higher. Now anybody here know that wee chorus? It's a salty one. He had grown up with salty DVDs. And the words of it is that it's higher, higher, lift Jesus higher. And then there's another bit of it that goes lower, lower. So he's going higher, 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 higher. And then he's going lower, lower, and it's put Satan lower. And he's doing this, and I kind of looked at Jane, and I suddenly thought to myself, that's what we need to do. But then he looked at me, and, he, and Jane can verify this. He pointed at me like this. <laughs> and here he is. You say, higher, 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 higher. And you know something? I felt that God spoke to me through a wee boy who can't really use very many words and who doesn't have a natural great intellect. But you know, it was clear to me that God was saying, lift me higher and put the devil under your feet. And that's exactly what we're meant to do. Because Jesus Christ, he's overcome it all. He went to the cross, he's completed the work. There's no curse hanging over you. 
anything that happens to you, God will work it out for your best. That's what you need to remember. Even the bad stuff, God will still work it around for good. That's what the Bible teaches, and we've got to believe that and speak it out. And we have a God who has taken the curse, our curse, on himself. He became a curse for you and a curse for me, so that we could be free from any curse that the enemy wants to throw our way. And you know what? Satan has no right over you. Do you know where his place is? Under your feet. You've got to keep him down there, but you've got to lift Jesus higher. And so today, as we remember the story and we remember Jesus presenting himself, just remember this, that God loves you, that he sent his son to die for you so that you could know forgiveness, that you could carry the Holy Spirit, and that you could have this availability of a permanent... This, this prayer shawl was a picture of what we have, because you know what? We're even more than that. We're walking tabernacles. We can speak to God any moment, anywhere, any place, any time. And God wants us to enjoy this. And he wants us to keep in that place with him. And we're receiving his favour. And we're, we're just saying, thank you, God, that you delight in me. Thank you, God, that I am your delight because of what Jesus has done. Thank you, Father. Father, you are such a great God. You've given your best. You give heaven's best for us. And Father, I just pray as we sing together in a moment that you would help us all just to reason it out in our hearts, Lord. You've given all for us, that we would respond to you by saying that we want to give our all to you. Lord, that we would sing with truth and with fervor, all for Jesus, all for Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you for all you've done, and thank you for all that you're yet to do. And thank you for the plans and the purpose and the future. For the Lord would say to you, I know the plans that I have for you, not to harm you, but to prosper you and to give you a hope and a future. Amen. We'll stand and we'll sing this song together, um, all for Jesus. And let's just really sing it, um, as really meaning it. That's the important. Oh, hang on a minute, it's the wrong one. There's me. I originally was going to do all for Jesus, but then I changed it. In Christ alone, my hope is found. Was remember the all for Jesus, but we'll sing this one. All right. pluck me from his hand. There was another little bit of that story about William I forgot to tell you and I think I'll just finish it off and tell you what he did. Whenever he'd done all of this bits of higher, higher and lower, lower and pointed, pointed me to make sure I was going to get in the line, he started to do, I'm going to, I'm going to describe it to you, here's what it was, this kind of thing. And you know, do you know what it looked like for all the world? It looked like he was getting the angels to come around him. That's what I said to Jane. I said, it looks like that wee fella is just telling the angels to come around him. And you know, and I just prayed over him that morning. I just said, thank you, Father, that everywhere William goes, the angels go to protect him. And you know, I want to declare that over all of you this morning, that the angels, you have all ministering angels. The Bible tells us that we have ministering angels who minister to us because we are the heirs of salvation. So when you go, you don't go alone. You have angels around you. And you have the Holy Spirit in you. Get up and go, girls. Go and be go-getters for all that God has for you. Amen. Amen.